thousands upon thousands, I'm not exaggerating, of opportunities we have every day. You may say, I don't see a thousand people. You don't have to see people. You just have to be available to God. And, and I, I uh, want to echo what Jeremy said. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being like your Heavenly Father. He is a generous God. He, he is a giver. And as we grow in him, we become more outward flowing than ever before. Um, but how many of you know that the Bible tells us when God's word is sown, that the enemy comes immediately? So when that happens, when, when we see what happened at uh, Encounter and the impact and the impartation that has happened there's a battle going on right now and it's going to continue for the word that was sown into these young people's lives and that's where we need to do something about that you may say well what, what do we do we pray we pray do you know prayer is one of the most underutilized opportunities that we have as as believers and and many times because we're all growing we're all in various stages of growth going from glory to glory but many times prayer initially in our lives is just an opportunity for us to ask God to do something for us but as we mature as we develop we spend less time asking God for ourselves we still do at times but we know God is giving us everything like the scripture says, that pertains to life and godliness. God supplies all our needs. We're absolutely assured of that. So we don't have to worry about going to God and saying, hey, God, take care of me. Because we know God's got it. And God's got us. But then we start to focus outward and begin to pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word that was sown. I thank you for the transformation and the revelation that's coming from your word. I thank you for your spirit rising up in your people. And so today we're going to pray. Now, you can bow your heads or you don't have to. Bowing your head doesn't make the prayer stronger. <laughs> Just like being louder doesn't make a prayer stronger. You know, some of the loudest people praying at times are the most uncertain people. Not all the time, but at times. Some of the quietest people praying are some of the most uncertain. You can't tell by it, but when you're confident... You don't have to embellish it. And so we're just going to pray for the word that went forth. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that your word, it says, as it goes forth, it will not return void, but it will accomplish that which is, it was set forth to accomplish and prosper in the way it goes. Father, we thank you for the hearts and the minds of every one of the youth that your word was heard by. Father, we thank you for Holy Spirit bringing that word to their remembrance, imparting to them and empowering them in the things that you encourage them in. Father, I thank you. We thank you also that there's a, an adjustment, unreal change, because the entrance of your word brings life. Father, we thank you for that illumination that Holy Spirit turns into revelation that as these youth and leaders apply it to our life, to their lives it becomes transformation and they go from glory to glory 
So, Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that your word is going to bear great fruit in the lives of these youth, these leaders, even those that participated. Father, we thank you for, for uh, Redeemer and, and their sponsoring this conference. We thank you for blessing them. We thank you for blessing all those that served in any capacity, in every capacity, and those that spoke. Father, your word says, he who waters will be watered. And a liberal, generous soul will be made fat. So, Father, we thank you that your blessing is coming and going and increasing. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone shout it. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to be able to do something for somebody else? It really is. And like I said, we have opportunities all the time. And as, and as we are focused on God... Guess who God's looking at? Not just us. He's looking at everyone. And when we look at God, we're going to be, begin to have the heart of God. That's what God wants. God wants us to have his heart of compassion, of love, of generosity. And, and this is the ongoing process of maturing that he has for us. It never ends in this life. We never get to a finishing point here the bible says when we see him we'll be like him but until then there's room for improvement amen and that's that's where we're we're going to hear about a man today who god himself said he's a man after my own heart that's that's pretty incredible but it's not exclusive a man after god's own heart we have been looking at, we've been studying about abiding and how important it is to us to be connected continuously, uh, looking to and trusting in God, uh, recognizing that we need no one before him and truly no one other than him. We need the Lord. We need to look to him. We need to be guided by him and governed by him and guarded by him and provided by him. But it's easy not to. And, and Israel decided at one point they did not want God as their king. And they thought they could find a better king. Foolishness. Yeah, deception. But it was because they were looking out there and they were seeing all the other nations. And all the other nations had a king. And they said, we want a king just like they have. And God warned him. He said, look, if you get a king like they have, this is what he's going to do. He's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. And God is going to give and give and give and give and give. And they said, well, we still want a king. We want to be just like them. And they didn't know what they wanted. They were deceived in that. And God said, all right, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. And he gave them a king whose name was Saul. And Saul, the characteristics of Saul were just what they were looking for. He was taller than everybody else. He was more handsome than everybody else. And they said, that's our man. And yet Saul, Saul was placed in as king, and yet Saul had an eye problem. Remember that? He had an eye problem. It wasn't a physical eye problem, although... His eyes were looking and focused on the wrong things. But he was more concerned about himself than God or anyone else. And I will tell you this today. Without God, that's what we all revert to. 
we become selfish, self-centered, and self-serving. But with God, we become selfless, sacrificial, the way God is, and, and serving. And so Saul made all these choices without God, what he thought was good. And God finally said, that's it. You have not obeyed my command. I'm replacing you. And that's kind of where we left it when we got done with, with service last week, except we went to chapter 16, or uh, yeah, chapter 16 in uh, 1 Samuel. And we're going to start there. We're going to reread the first scripture. But it says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence here. We thank you for Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to speak your word to your bride, the body of Christ. I thank you for hearing hearts and good ground that, Father, your word today will re be received. It will grow and develop and produce great fruit, transforming our lives, going from glory to glory. And Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. That Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance your word. But Father, I pray right now that each person here listening today would hear your rhema word. Not everything, but exactly what they need to hear from you today to apply to their lives for us to apply to our lives, that we would make the adjustments and realignments we need to make to be the people you have for us to be and do the things you have for us to do. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So Samuel was sent to Jesse's house to find the next king. And uh, you probably know his name. His name is mentioned more times in the Bible than anybody else's except Jesus. His name is David. And, and David is, is mentioned in the Old Testament in 19 books, 881 references. In the New Testament, in nine books and 54 references. And like I said, the only one that's mentioned more is Jesus. So David is a pretty important person, don't you think? For God to spend that much time recording this and, and letting us understand and see. And I'm telling you right now, we're not going through all 19 books in the Old Testament and nine in the New Testament. We're, we're going to jump. But we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So we're going to drop down and we're going to see what happened when Samuel got to Jesse's house. Samuel was concerned, complaining to God, and he said, listen, I'm afraid that Saul's going to see that I'm doing this and I'm anointing the next king and he's going to kill me. So God gave him a plan and he shows up at Jesse's house. So in verse 4, it says this, or 6, it says, so it was when, the, when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see how. 
as man sees. Now, we know that because we know the Scripture tells us uh, God's ways are higher than ours. God's thoughts are higher than ours. There's nothing hidden to God, but there are all sorts of things hidden to us. You know, we have it happen every day where there are things we didn't expect, we didn't know were going to happen. God never says, oh my gosh, how did that happen? What's this? God sees everything clearly and continuously. He does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the what? Outward appearance. Man, we spend so much time on our outward appearance. Some of us don't have to spend as much time as others. But we spend a lot of time and we spend a lot of money. What we wear, we dress like, what we smell like, we're, we're, because we know that's how people judge us. Because that's how we judge people. And yet God doesn't. People look on the outward appearance. We look initially at a human being, know nothing about them, and we begin to story about them. We've already written in our own hearts about that person before we've ever engaged with that person because we look. And it's just about her, our humanity, our limitation. But it says, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. Because he's the only one that can. No one knows the heart of man except for God is what the scripture says. It would be really awesome in some ways, and really terrible in other ways, if we could know what the heart of another person was. But no one knows the heart of man except for God. And God looks on the heart. One translation says, inner character. The message translation tells us that it's not just inner character. It says, uh, looks at the thoughts and intentions. Does that cause anybody but me to kind of go... Think about that. Man, we can control many times how we re react to somebody, but God knows what's going on inside and what we wanted to do. So he's not fooled. He's not fooled by how we have managed our image, how we have done what we've done. He knows exactly what's going on inside. What's the motivation? What's the real character, not just what we're showing people when we want them to like us? And so he says, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the heart. Everybody else, Samuel, Samuel's even looking at, at Jesse's sons and saying, this must be the one. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse called Shammah and passed by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen with this one. Thus Jesse, or Jesse, seven of his sons, passed before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, all of your young, are all of your young men here? And he said, there remains the youngest, and he is keeping the sheep. Now, I, I, I taught about this, about the fact that no one, no one but God saw the king in the kid. When you look at somebody, you see what you see, and I see what I see, and we make determinations, and we have expectations, but we don't know. Listen, we don't even know our own potential. And we'll never know anybody else's potential. Only God does, because God gave him the potential. 
And only through God can they realize their potential being fulfilled. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him here for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Okay. Now, they're just giving us some insight. One of the things that David was when it says he was ruddy, he was a redhead. And if you go to Israel, you'll find out that there is a fable, I guess. I'm not even sure what it is. But there's a perception that if you see a redhead, first thing in the day, you're going to have a good day. I have good days every day. <laughs> That's true. It's true. When, when Debbie and I went to Israel, our, our guide, Ephraim, was like, Ginger. No, Debbie. Ginger. And, and that's just a redhead. And, and he said, you with her? I said, yes. You're a blessed man. Yes. But David, David wasn't outstanding because he was, another translation says, the run of the litter. So he wasn't even thought, his dad didn't even think to bring him. His brothers didn't think to bring him. Samuel finally said, is this it? This can't be it. There's got to be somebody else. Oh, yeah, David. He's down taking care of the sheep. He's the youngest one. He's the run of the litter. And he says, bring him here. And so, so they bring him. And Samuel takes a look at him. Where are we? Lord has not chosen these. Go, go, go. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for he will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him, and he was ruddy and bright-eyed and good-looking. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Now, everybody else didn't know that. Not even Samuel, but God did. Listen, we've got to let God help us in our understanding, in our perceptions. We can't do it alone. Then Samuel took and he said, neither has the Lord, that's not right. We're going backward. I don't know what happened, John, but we miss, sorry about that, I apologize. But he took the horn and he poured it over David, okay? And uh, he was consecrated as king. How old was he? Well, most scholars say they, they believe that David was between 10 and 15 years old. Well, why did, why did God do it then? Because God was giving David an understanding of what God had called him to giving his father an understanding, giving his brothers an understanding. This was, this was a private anointing. But this was the time where the calling of God was revealed. This is what God's purpose and plan was for David. And yet we find out that David didn't become king until many, many years later. How many of you think it might be a little frustrating for somebody to say, hey, you're going to be president. And, and what do we usually think when we're told something? Man, it's going to happen now. Or at least quick. 
Because it was not unknown for kings to come into their authority at that age. And so this happens, and what happens with David? He goes back to the sheep. He goes back to being what he was, and he didn't have an attitude about it. He did what, what God had for him to do, what his father had for him to do. He was submissive. He was humble. And uh, then in, in chapter 17, it goes on to say that uh, Jesse sent David... This is where Goliath comes into the picture. Remember Goliath? Goliath was the big guy. If you think Shaq was big, Goliath was even bigger than Shaq. Goliath was almost 10 feet tall. Imagine that. When I, I lived in California, I used to have to go up to the geysers in Northern California to work on these live steam wells. And I was in a hotel, unbeknownst to me, where, where the, the raiders football team was and one morning I was I was running late I ran out of my room and I turned to run down the hallway to catch up to the crew and I ran into what I thought was a door seriously and I ran into this man that was a massive man and he was one of the raiders and I bounced off him and I said excuse me and I went by him but I can't imagine, this was a man that was probably maybe six, seven, six, eight, hundreds of pounds, solid. Goliath was even bigger. He was somebody that they looked at and they were terrorized by. And so what had happened was Israel had gone out to battle with the Philistines. Goliath would come out every morning and taunt Israel, yell at them, and say, send your champion. 40 days, and David's older brothers are in the army, and Jesse sends David with supplies. And David arrives and heads out to find that they're listening to the taunts of the enemy. And in verse 24, it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him, they were dreadfully afraid. They were in terror. What are they looking at? I know this is a, you know, a very simple question. They're looking at another human being. And they are afraid of that human being because how that human being compares to who? Themselves. And yet they weren't out there just for themselves. God was with them. But they didn't acknowledge that it was just us and him in verse 26 it says david spoke to the men who stood by him saying what shall be done to the man who kills this philistine now remember david is still a youth a lad as a matter of fact when he presents himself to to goliath goliath says what you're just a kid and thought israel was mocking him what happens to the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? See, he's looking at him, but he's not seeing him in his size. He's seeing him in his relationship. This man does not have God. 
I am in covenant with God. This man is uncircumcised. I am in covenant with God. I'm not standing here as little David. I'm standing here as one who has God with him and for him. And then he says that he should defy the armies of who? The living God. Folks, this is this that's going on with Israel right now, their armies goes on with us every day. And yet it didn't happen with David. David was younger, David was smaller, but David knew who he was and whose he was. And you and I need to know who we are and whose we are. Wherever you go, the Bible tells us the kingdom of God is at hand. That means all the kingdom of God is available wherever you go. You never, I never, we never stand alone. We have to always remember, just like David did. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I'm in relationship with God. And so I don't stand here alone. I stand here with God and for God. That's a pretty heady thing for a, a, a young kid. But just like Jeremy said, we're believing that that the youth are going to rise up with a real awareness of who they are and whose they are. And we better do it too. Because now is the time. Now is the time to know that you're not just here on the earth to take up space, suck up air, and eat up food. We're here on a mission. We're here to know God and make him known. To show God. To the people around us and to go where God has for us to go and reveal the light and life of God because it's in us you know that spaghetti sauce it's in you it's in it prego yeah you've got everything you need God's given you the Bible says everything that pertains to life and godliness it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. David knew who he was and whose he was. This is why God had chosen him. Because he wasn't looking at himself, he was looking at God. In all our looking, in all our considerations, the first consideration is whose we are for God. David considered that as to who, who he was. And then... He says, and we're not, we're not going to look at this, he says, is there not a cause? Do you know everywhere we go, everything we do, there's a cause. There's a cause. It's to lift up Jesus. It's to let people know of the love of God, that he so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's why we're here. And David said, is there not a cause? And we're going to see what David thought was the cause. Because Saul thought there was a cause. The cause was that he would rise up and people would esteem him highly. And, uh, you know, he would be above everybody else. Because his problem was his eye problem. All about him. All about him. All about him. When we grow, when we mature, we move out of that focus and that pursuit. And, and David was already there. Then in verse 37... When he had said 
what he had said. Saul had heard about it, brought him in, wanted him to try on his armor, was going to send him out. The armor didn't fit. David said, no, I'm not going to use it. And then David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the, the lion and the paw of the bear, who delivered him? But who was out there with him? Exactly. It was just God. He was out there tending the sheep all by his lonesome. And yet he knew God was there and he saw God do what only God could do. You and I, when we're alone, we need to look for God. We need to know he's there. And, and, and allow him to be involved in what's going on. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Who is his confidence in? Who is his boast in? God. And just as David, a young man who was not old enough to actually be in the military, he had to be 20 years old, so we know David's younger than that. He's been sent taking supplies, and he ends up being the one that's going to face Goliath. Why? He could only face Goliath because of who he knew was with him. I'm telling you right now, you're all facing giants. And I will tell you this, because this is what the Bible tells us. If you hear Christians saying, it's going to get better, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. If they're talking about the world, they're lying. Because it's not. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over again that Darkness is going to cover the earth and gross darkness of people. People are going to be more desperate and despicable than ever before. That's the way the world goes without God. But we don't have to be afraid of that because we're in this world, not of this world. God will take care of us. God is with us and for us. And so we're going to face this darkness as lights in the darkness. We're going to have the peace and the joy and the hope, although we are surrounded by the same stuff, we are not saturated by the same things. We are filled with God. We are confident in God. And so that peace that passes all understanding guards our hearts and our minds because we have a confidence that the God that got us through the last one, and he did bring you through, is going to get us through the next one. And even, the, it doesn't matter how big the giants get, they'll never come close to how big our God is. And that's what we have to keep in mind. We have to keep in mind we're not standing alone. That's what David kept in mind. It is not just about him. This is about God. This is about God's people. It's about people knowing. This is the cause, that people would know who God is. It's not about who we are. He's saying this morning, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded and I'm not going to ask you if you feel like you're surrounded, you're overwhelmed, you're undone. That's just what it looks like. The truth is, we are surrounded by God. We are saturated by God. We are taken care of by God. If we'll let him take care of us. If we turn to him and trust him. But if we try and take care of ourselves, it'll be just like Saul. Saul made a mess because he had an eye problem. He was depending on himself and not on God. He thought he knew better, just like we do sometimes. And then in verse 45 through 47, 
it says, There we go. Then David said to the Philistine, he ran out to the field. It had to be a sight. You've got Goliath that is so big and David who's so little. You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Again, David, David makes it very clear. I'm not, I'm not out here alone. I'm telling you, I'm out here and God's out here. The next time you've got something coming after you, you need to put your, your feet on the floor sturdy and strong and say, I'm not in this alone. You know, we need to speak to ourselves sometimes. And we need to be speaking the right things. This day, the Lord delivered you into my hand the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses, give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and with spear. For the battle is, didn't we sing that today? And he will give you into my hands. So what was the cause? I'm standing here as David. I'm looking at the giant and I'm saying, listen, you're going down. And I'm taking your head. And we're going to rout your your brothers. And this is for one reason and one reason alone. That all the earth would know who the Lord God is. And this assembly. Do you know he wasn't just speaking to the Philistines? You know who else needed to know that he was the Lord God in Israel? Israel. Sometimes we need to remind each other who's with us. Not just remind the enemy who's with us. And so we know that we know the story. We know that he took him down and he cut his head off and he won the battle. And, and in the next chapter, chapter 18, we find some of the repercussions of what was happening because, you know, everybody was thrilled with the victory and the women sang about the victory. They sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his what? Ten thousands. Now, come on. How many battles had he been in before? Not against another army. He had been in a battle with a bear and a lion. But now people are embellishing what David's done. Now, who's behind that? The enemy. What is an embellishment? It's a lie. And he's the father of all lies, no matter how how seemingly uh, innocent that lie is, it's still the work of the enemy. And he'll operate to the fullest in it. But they're singing, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. <laughs> and it ticked, David off, or it ticked Saul off. And from that moment on, and again, this is all in here, that moment on, 
Saul looked at David with jealousy. And he said, actually, that made his own story up, David's going to take my kingdom. That's what he's after. Now, David wasn't after Saul's kingdom, but God had given him that place of being king. And you can't keep what God doesn't give you. And it says he eyed David from that day forward. There are a lot of things that went on uh, in, in David's life. And, and because Saul began to be very suspicious and he was very concerned about David, uh, he got paranoid. And he tried to kill David a number of times. And uh, David ends up fleeing to the wilderness. And when he does, uh, he ends up doing what we read many times in David's life. Uh, in 1 Samuel 23, uh, there was another battle going on he had heard about. He's hiding in the wilderness. And it's some of his brother's and, and sisters in Christ, in, in, I'm sorry, in Christ, in, in Israel. And John, can we go to 1 Samuel 23, 2 through 4? Do we have that? There we go. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall, shall I go and attack the Philistines? So this battle is going on. The Philistines are again rising up and causing problems. And he inquires of the Lord. This phrase happens over and over and over and over and over and over again in David's life. When we read about David, one of the things David constantly does, he inquires of the Lord. He seeks the Lord. He turns to the Lord. He wants the Lord's guidance. He wants the Lord to govern him. And that's what it is when we abide with God. We want God to guide us. We want God to be our first resource we want God to be our first turn. He is the one that we depend on and seek before anyone else. And this is what we're seeing in David's life. Saul did not, but David is. That's why David is a man after God's own heart. You can be a person after God's own heart, just like David, but we have to do it the same way. And so he, he inquired, he asked God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save the town that they were attacking. David said to him, look, to the men, he, the men said to David, look, we're afraid uh, in Judah. How much more if we go to this city against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord once again. All of a sudden, he's having the same thing that happened with Saul in one of the battles where the people are afraid. They're starting to leave. They're telling him they're going to go. And he decides to take matters into his own hand. But David doesn't. David does something absolutely opposite of what Saul does. David stops. He hears the complaints. He hears that his men are afraid, probably going to bolt if they go. And he says, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Sometimes we have to go back and just reaffirm what God wants us to do because we're here not to do everybody else's will and not to do our own will. We're here to, to do God's will. And the Lord answered him and says, Arise, go, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. So he does. He does, and, and they gain this victory. Um, but David inquires of the Lord. We need to inquire of God. We need to be seeking God. Doesn't the Bible say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to us? Doesn't the Bible say, 
that Jesus Christ is supposed to have the preeminence in all things. First place in rank, in value, and in influence. That's what preeminence means. The Bible tells us that we're to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We can't do this without Jesus. So let's stop trying. Because that's, that's one of the biggest downfalls for us. We're trying to do better. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. But that's not how God has us to live in the kingdom. It's not by trying. You know, it's about trusting. It's about coming to that place of acknowledging, God, with you all things are possible. That your strength will be made full in my weakness as I humble myself under your mighty hand, as I submit to you, as I yield to you, as I obey you, then you'll be able to lift me up in due time. See, it's, it's not about our effort. It's not about our trying. It's about our trusting. And David trusted God. That's what abiding is about. Abiding is about holding on to God more than anyone, before anyone or anything, and continuously looking to God as our source. And it's real easy to get our eyes off God and onto other things and even ourself as being our source. But the moment that happens, the moment we start to look away from God, the crushing pressure comes upon us. That stress, that fear, that doubt of the unknown. But when we, we look to God, we know with God all things are possible. We know nothing's hidden from Him. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. And if they come from Him, they can't come from anyone else. Every good and perfect, the exact right thing that we need comes from Him. Why? Why would we not trust him? Because we get deceived. Because we get our eyes on ourselves. We tend to have eye problems like Saul. But David kept his eyes on the Lord. And many things happen. Um, again, we're going to jump to chapter 30 where um, we find David coming back from battle uh, the Philistines had attacked his home where he and his men were. They burned everything. They took their wives and their children, sons and daughters, and took them captive. And they get back to this smoking mess, this rubble, and no one, no one's dead, but no one's there. And it says, now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke, and it's talking about the men that he, he was in a band with, that he was actually over and leading, spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son and his daughter. I don't know why the wives aren't there, but I will have to take that up with God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, these people, these people cried until they couldn't cry anymore. And they talked about stoning him. And, and then it says, so David strengthened himself where? In the Lord. What does that take? It takes stopping. 
kind of distancing yourself, putting that aside. We know it's there. I mean, he was heartbroken because of what happened with his family, but also about the turn of the people that he had trusted in and that had trusted in him. And now they're saying, we're going to stone you. Betrayal is one of the deepest wounds you'll ever have. And in that moment, he chose not to react to that. But he strengthened himself in the Lord. What did he do? He took a step back and took a step towards, towards God. And it says in verse 8, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered and said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and without fail recover all. You know, when you have God's word on it, you've got something that's sure. And if you say, well, you know, I've never heard from God. You've got a whole Bible full of what God said. What God deems is important. And that's why we need to take time to get into the word of God and get the word of God into us. The psalmist said, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We make time for all sorts of other things. I make time for all sorts of other things. But nothing will be the, a better use of my time than taking time to not only engage in reading the Bible, but studying the Bible, of meditating on the Bible, of memorizing the Bible. You know, the word for you today is talking about these things. You know, God's trying to get it through to us. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Then he inquired of the Lord. And, and he ended up winning, getting everyone and everything back safe. And there are a number of, of things that go on, but uh, suffice to say, Saul dies, his sons die, and uh, David is still in exile. And, and God finally tells him what's supposed to happen. And in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 4, it says, it happened after this, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities in Judah? Now, Saul's dead. His sons are dead. And, and he says, where, where should I go? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where shall I go? And he said Hebron. And Hebron was a, a very important city, but we don't have time to get into it. But he got there, and it says, Then the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Judah, uh, Jabesh-Gilead, were the ones who buried Saul. So they anoint David. They come to David. They anoint David as their king. Now, David at this time is 27. It's a lot that's gone into this life. And didn't God anoint him as king by Saul when he was 10 to 15, 18, 27? It's a long time to wait. And he was going through hell. Man, people are trying to kill him. Not only people that are enemies, but he's got... Saul trying to kill him. Then he's got people that he has gone to battle with that have trusted him and he's trusted. They want to stone him. Don't you think it was challenging for David to keep his focus on God and say, God, you know, I know 
I know you're good, but why is this happening? Listen, we all have whys. Why? Why? Don't concentrate on the whys. Concentrate on the who. You may never in this life or ever get the answer to why. Don't make that the most important thing. Make the most important thing who. Who is with you? Who is for you? Who can do what no one else can do? And then the wise will take care of themselves. Hello? So David, David became king over Judah, his own tribe. But they, they chose another man to be king over the rest of Israel. And he ended up getting killed. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we, we catch up again. This is jumping through. You can read about David's life, but we don't have time to go through it all. All the tribes came, all the tribes of Israel came to David a Hebrew and spoke and said, Indeed, you are bone. You are our bone and our flesh. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 45 years. What are you waiting for? What's God put in your heart? What do you have a sense of? This is what God has for me. And how long have you been waiting? I want you to know the wait is worth it. Because in that waiting process, do you know what happened with David? We've read portions of it. But David's character was being developed to be the place where it was just absolutely set on God. That he was trusting God, not in himself, not in anybody else. He was trusting God. Do you know that that's where we have to be? We have to be absolutely trusting in God. It's great to have friends. It's great to have family. But no one is going to be for you or be with you like God is. And when we trust God, we can be to our family, to our friends, what God has for us to be. And Israel finally saw that in David. David's going to be king. He's going to be our king. We're coming to anoint you as our king. All they were doing was affirming what God had set in place before David ever knew it, before Jesse ever knew it, before Samuel ever knew it, before David's brothers ever knew it. But this was God's will. This was God's purpose for David. And little by little, David, David was the first one that had to accept and acknowledge that. Then his family had to become aware of it. Then other people had to see this. But it wasn't just in light of all the good things, seeing him in the good times and the bad times. And, and he withstood it because his focus was on God. There were more battles. We find out David inquired of the Lord again and again and again. And... Uh, In verse 25 of chapter 5, we're going to end here today. And this isn't the end of David, but it's the end of what we're going to deal with. It says, and David did so. The Lord told him what to do, and David did so. As the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines. So Saul was removed because he didn't do what the Lord commanded. David continued time and time again, whether it made sense to him or not. 
whether anybody else agreed with him or not, David obeyed the Lord. David sought the Lord, David listened for the Lord, and David obeyed the Lord. That's why David was a man after God's own heart, because he wanted to know what God wanted more than he wanted what he wanted or anybody else wanted. Now, you may say, wow, that's really great. That, that's a good thing to do. I wish I could do it. You can. You see, the thing about the kingdom of God is there are no superstars. Any star that, that is shining bright, it's because the bright morning star is the one behind it. That's Jesus. And we can all be people after God's own heart. But understand this. Just because we've read what we've read in David's life, you never get to the place where you're untouchable, where you're above being tempted. And we're going to see what happened with David and find out how he maintained his heart towards God. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, God, God loves everyone. We read in the Bible, God has a plan for everyone. And that plan is for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. The only place in this world that we can be guaranteed that there is a future and a hope is with God. And yet, God will never force His plan on us. We have to come to Him. We have to acknowledge we've been running our own lives. We've been doing our own things. We've made mistakes. And we've made, we've sinned. And we need God's forgiveness. We need God to take over our lives. But it'll only take it if we give it. And this morning, if you had never turned to, to the Lord and recognized Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for each one of our sins. But if we don't acknowledge that, and don't repent of the sin of us running our own lives and return to Christ, then it doesn't do us any good. But this morning, if you have never turned to Christ to receive him as your Lord and Savior, this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to invite everybody to. But let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus, who left heaven came to earth, lived a sinless life, and went to the cross to die for my sins, was dead and buried, and raised glorious and victoriously, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for my sin. I have sinned. I come to you and ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Govern me. Guide me. Guard me. And provide for me. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, please let somebody know before you leave. We want to celebrate this new life that just began, but it's a life that is about change. 
It's all about change. We are constantly changing, being transformed by the renewing of our mind through the Word of God, going from glory to glory. Let someone know, please. Um, I just want you again to, just by your heads, close your eyes, because we're going to do something that the Bible has written in it throughout the Psalms. It's, it's the word selah. It means pause and reflect. And there's been a lot said here. But there is something specific for you. And just as David inquired of the Lord, we're going to put that to practice right now. Just ask God, God, what of that was for me? Now, Father, we know that your word says that your sheep know your voice. Father, we may not hear words, but Holy Spirit impresses on our hearts the things that you have for us. Father, help us to make note of that. But Father, not just be informed. We want to be empowered. So help us hide this word in our heart. Help us adjust our lives to your word. That, Father, we would experience the miracle of transformation. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? just want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. I thank you for your promise that said you're going to go ahead of us and prepare the way. I thank you that you said you would, you would uh, cut off the mountains and fill in the valleys and make the way smooth. You're our rear guard. Father, we thank you for your guidance. We thank you for Holy Spirit leading us. We thank you that we are, we are willing and obedient. And your word says we eat the best of the land. Father, we, we thank you for the blessing that has come. But Father, we thank you even more for the opportunity for the blessing going from us to others. That you would be glorified and lives would be changed for the glory of the Lord. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.